Hello and welcome to episode 167 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. And today we have a very, very, very special guest. I mean, we've had some people carrying some big bags on this show before through poker, through Wall Street, through business, through gambling. Uh, Doug Polk, Jeremy Levine, uh, Phil Galfon, Jason Strasser, Scott Hansen, Rufus Peabody, uh, to name a few. But today we have someone carrying a big bag in a space that is brand new. This is a young man who was early and aggressive in NBA Top Shot, which is, of course, a disruptive digital collectible NFT platform. And now, now his Top Shot collection is worth an astounding 20 million. And we'll get into how accurate we think that number actually is, but it is Michael Levy, King Bag Holder of the Top Shot Streets. Mike, how's it going, buddy? Going well. Uh, thank you for having me on. Excited to be here. Big fan of the pod, uh, of you and of Evan and, and the platform you guys have built. So very excited to be here and excited to be the, the newest addition to that incredible list of names you just listed off. Yeah. Okay. We have a ton to get to today and I want to dilly dally too much. We're going to get into Top Shot. We're going to get into the bull case. We're going to get into the bear case, some of the issues, some strat, all that. But I want to start with a little bit about you because I don't think people know too much about you in general. I believe you're around 30 years old. What were you doing before entering the Top Shot streets? Yeah, so I'm 31 years old. I live in, in New York, in Manhattan, on the Upper West Side. Um, I have a pretty traditional Manhattan background. Uh, went to college in New York, studied finance and statistics, um, then went into investment banking, then into private equity, and now I actually work with my family's investment firm. And I've been working with my family's firm for about five years and, and hope to do that uh, throughout the, the rest of my career. And I continue to do that throughout the day, but as we'll cover in detail here, Top Shot has sidetracked um, my, my normal day-to-day -day affairs and uh, it's, uh, it's taken over my life. Yeah. Okay. So you're doing the investment bank thing. You're doing the, the private equity thing, which, you know, is all uh, can be very lucrative, but also I think can be uh, not the most fun or interesting stuff. Well, I shouldn't say that. I have no idea. But anyways, you come across Top Shot. How did you find top shot how'd you hear about it how did you initially get in the in the streets yeah so it's it's, uh, it's a great question so first to to set the stage a little bit um the extent of my crypto experience before top shot was that in early 2017 uh, i bought some bitcoin bought some ethereum and essentially just put it in coinbase and never looked at it again um, and then fast forward to last fall in early september i came across a tweet um, from a random person who I don't even follow just ended up on my timeline somehow that essentially said the, the NBA has released a, a new collectibles uh, platform that has digital assets on it. Take a look. And I, I sent it in a group message to a few of my friends on Twitter. I said, hey, I think this looks pretty interesting, could get pretty big. And my, my one buddy reacted pretty quickly. You're an idiot who would ever buy a digital card. And that, that same friend, actually, uh, I think two weeks ago, bought a digital moment or a top shot moment for over $15,000. So it, it's been an incredible shift of sentiment. Um, but, but that's really the first time I heard of Top Shot uh, when, when I came across that tweet. And I kind of forgot about it for a week or two. Um, then saw another tweet about it, uh, tried to get in. Um, I, I went to the website. You, you couldn't actually access it as a, a, a member of the public. It was part of the closed beta phase of Top Shot. And so I 
took an initiative. I DM'd uh, the Top Shot account and said, hey, uh, pretty interested in the platform. Any chance I can get an invite to closed beta? And they said, sure, uh, we'll get back to you in a few days. They sent me an invitation. I, I joined on and, and I can talk about my first few days, but that's kind of how I came across the platform and how I got on. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious. You said when you texted your group chat, you said this thing could be big. I mean, what made you think that it could be big? What made you think that it'd be worth spending time or money on? Because as you said, most people's first reaction is, hey, I can't hold this. This is not as good as a physical card. Uh, I can get this this off uh, YouTube and all, all the stuff that we know people have said. I mean, I know when Bales wrote the first article about the John Moran thing, you know, every response was like, I don't get it. I can watch this on YouTube. But what made you think that it was worth spending money on time pursuing DMing Top Shot, et cetera? Yeah, so what attracted uh, me to it was that I kind of got comfortable with the idea of digital assets. What When in 2017, I made my initial Bitcoin and Ethereum investments, I did do a pretty deep dive into the space then. I watched as many documentaries as I could. I read whatever articles I could and got pretty comfortable with the idea of digital assets as a whole and the, and the fact that you don't need to um, tangibly hold an object for something to carry value. And the debate that I had with a lot of people and the discussion I had with a lot of people was Bitcoin is essentially a better version of gold. Um, and that sort of debate sort of uh, it led me to the to be comfortable with Top Shot. And, you know, it's the same sort of argument. And so when I saw Top Shot, I was like, you know, I don't think it's difficult to substitute Top Shot in for Bitcoin and gold in for physical sports cards now. And obviously it was in the midst of a huge, huge boom of physical sports cards, which is still ongoing today. And mm -hmm. uh, as we'll talk about, I do think the markets can, can coexist. Um, but that's what kind of gave me enough of enough comfort to dive in and at least try out the platform, check it out, see what it was all about. Yeah. I mean, I've been pitched and have heard about pitches a lot about a stock market for athletes. And I think um, it's been hard to execute. And I think if you think about the idea that way, I think that it's more clear to people. Like we're seeing that already. People are talking about Top Shot through the lens of market cap and percent change by day and bear markets and bull markets and, and all these charts and stuff that look like stock market uh, charts. And, you know, you have your blue chip sets and your common sets and, and everything. So, so yeah, you know, I think that um, that's one aspect of it. And we'll get more into the digital, uh, why I think the digital, you know, uh, space is like making a huge, huge difference here. But yeah, you know, I, I understand that people's, most people's first reaction is it's just on YouTube. We can get into the NFT stuff more in a second here. I, I think the biggest thing for me is my first reaction was the same as those other people. It's like, God, who will want to buy a highlight? But if you start to zoom out and think everything is going digital, right? Like autographs, are out, cameo is in, right? Like who wants an autograph anymore when you can get a cameo from a celebrity? You know, driving is out, self-driving cars are in, newspapers are out, social media is in. So yeah, of course, like physical stuff is not going to hold up over the next 50 or a hundred years. And if you accept that the future is digital and like, if it's not on your phone, then it's dust. Like, I think that is one thing. Another thing I wanna run past you that I think Top Shot did, did is like bridge a gap, right? Like a lot of the crypto world is confusing. It's hard to understand. You need to buy Ethereum and you need a MetaMask and you need a Trezor and you better not mess up one letter in this code or, or your coin is gone and you better use the right wallet, you know, when you send it or it's just a lot for a normal human. But what Topshot did, which I think has been um, a big reason for its success is, hey, you can deposit with a credit card, although the fees are absurd, but you can deposit with a credit card. You can buy and sell 
in this marketplace, which doesn't look like crypto. Like you don't interact with the blockchain. You don't even have to know what the flow blockchain is at all. It's all very, very intuitive in the marketplace. So I think that like, hey, you don't have to even like believe in blockchain technology or crypto at all to think that Top Shot uh, can be a success. I think that's made a huge difference for them. Whereas a lot of these crypto things make it really hard for the normal person to ape into. Uh, are you following what I'm saying there? I, I am. So yeah, so you made a few points there. So the first thing I'd say is I, I do think there are a lot of hurdles to get comfortable with Top Shot. And I, I'm definitely not trying to represent that. I saw the tweet and thought, wow, this is the answer. This is going to reach uh, the point that it has by the, the all-star break of the next NBA season. I thought it was enough to dip my toes in and see what it was all about. And, and that's kind of where I started. Um, and then I think the next couple of weeks were really, really important weeks for me where I was an immense beneficiary of the community at the time. So I don't know what number of user I was, maybe 500, 600, 700 in, in that range, but very, very early in the game. And I arrived as a complete noob in, in this space. I had never sent cryptocurrency from one wallet to another. I'd never heard of MetaMask. I didn't know what an ERC-20 token is, which I'm sure most people still don't know, but that's pretty basic in Ethereum world. And I'm a, an interesting use case that's very much in line with what you just described, where I found Topshot before I knew what an NFT was, before I knew how to interact with crypto. And for me, it's been an eye-opening experience to learn a lot more about it. And I have a lot of people in the Topshot community to thank for opening their arms to me and saying, you know, we know you're, you don't know what you're doing here. Ask us any question about NFTs, about other projects we're working on. And because of the nature of the early adopters of Topshot, who were some of the biggest names in the NFT space, they were people who were affiliated with Dapper from the CryptoKitties days um, and some of the bigger names in NFTs who got the early invites so that Dapper could benefit from their knowledge and could leverage their experience and their expertise to improve the platform in the, in the beta phase. Those people became close friends of mine, people who I ask questions to, people who I can DM with today and really opened their arms to me in, in a big way and you know, never made me feel like uh, I, I couldn't ask them questions, introduced me to things, took me through a step-by-step -step how to send people Ethereum, how to get comfortable that the transaction actually went through. Um, and, and so I, I really benefited from that. And a lot of the conversations that I had were kind of around, how do you think about a digital asset? And so there are two analogies that I've used a number of times with, with people as, as they kind of think about a digital asset and what's something worth that you can't hold in your hand. Um, and the first analogy I, I take from Jack Settleman, who some, some of the listeners may know, but he's a big personality on social media. He's got a big um, Snapchat account, a big Twitter following. And what he likes to do is he, he's printed out a copy of the Mickey Mantle card that sold for a little over $5 million, I want to say a month ago or six weeks ago. And he holds it up and he says, look, I'm getting the exact same experience as the owner of this card right now. I'm seeing it, I'm holding it, but it's not worth $5 million. And the reason it's not worth $5 million is because it's not the actual product. It's not real. It's not authentic. Um, no one else would pay me anything for it. And what really, uh, where the value is derived from for the Mickey Mantle card is that it's an officially licensed product from the MLB. It's a conventionally accepted um, authentic and scarce object. It's a unique object. It carries a story to it and there's verifiable ownership to it that it's gone through this auction process. And not one of those things relies on the fact that it's a physical thing that you can hold in your hand because he's replicating that on his end and it's worth 25 cents. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one analogy. And a second one that's a kind of interesting situation and I, I can send you this 
um, this study, but two researchers ran a study, uh, I think it was in 2014, where they basically put out a hypothetical uh, scenario and they said, assume that we have the original Mona Lisa and that we have an exact replica of the Mona Lisa and there's no way to distinguish between the two. Everyone knows this one's original, this one's replica, but beyond that, no expert, no historian, no chemical examination can tell you this is the original, that's the replica, they're the exact same. And now say the original burns in a fire and all that's left are ashes. What would you, as someone who's interested in culture, art, history, what would you rather go see? Would you rather go see the ashes of the original or would you rather go see the replica? That's the exact same and the same visual experience. And I guess I'll, I'll ask you, what would you rather see? Hmm. I think the ashes. So you and 80% of people said the ashes. And I think that's it's a fascinating example of what, what makes the Mona Lisa valuable is the story, the uniqueness, the tie to Da Vinci, um, the, well, you know, it's the experience the, it's of going the, to it's see the it. scarcity, right? I can see a replica anywhere in the entire world. I can only see the actual thing in the ashes, right? Yeah, so that's exactly right. But a lot of people will say, you know, if I can look at the Mona Lisa on my computer screen, it's not the same thing because you can't see the brush strokes and you can't see whatever else. But I'm saying this is the exact same replica now. Mm -hmm. Exact same. You can see the brush strokes. You can see everything. And it's a hypothetical. It can't be done. It's a hypothetical. But people still chose ashes 80% of the time. And I think it's a great example to show that it's not about the painting. It's about the story around it, the scarcity, the authenticity and, sure. and all that. And that's that's what digital assets are. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk about the early days when you first got on to the site. And you're saying this was like December, January, is that right? No, September. Oh, wow. Okay, Sep September. Yeah, so, so sorry, I so said September 8th was the first tweet I came across. Okay, all right. So what was it like then? You get in this closed beta just by sending them a DM. You start messing around. I mean, can you just buy like the cosmic packs, the hollow packs, whatever? Can you just go on there and buy packs? Is that how you got... Um, the collection going just by like literally going on the site and buying packs of the rares whenever you want. So it actually wasn't packs in general. So the first pack that came out after I joined was the conference semifinals pack. Um, there were there were an inventory of early adopters packs, which is one of the first packs that dropped. There were uh, always base base packs available back then, but. Cosmics had come in uh, and fully sold out. Hollows had sold out. From the top had sold out. Most of the early premium packs had sold out. Um, and so most of my collection is actually built off of marketplace purchases and off marketplace purchases, which we can talk about. And disclaimer to anyone listening, be very careful doing anything off market. There are a lot of scammers these days. It was a different time back then when everyone knew each other and everyone was in a closed beta environment where someone had vouched for someone else a number of times. So off market deals were a very different beast back then. So just be very careful out there. Um, and so in answer to your question, um, the way I was able to build my collection um, is a combination of a lot of factors coming together and a lot of luck. Um, so first I came across this tweet that happened to um, be posted by someone else during the closed beta period. I was able to get into the community during the closed beta period. I was able to get some of these experts who, who I mentioned earlier to kind of explain to me what the hell it was that we were doing here. What is Top Shot? What are NFTs? Um, what is this kind of next level crypto? Um, you know, I, I spent a few weeks feeling around, getting to know the space. Um, I, I made a couple marketplace purchases, and then I realized I was in a somewhat unique situation. So we'll cover the withdrawal situation in, in detail, I think, later in, in the discussion. But at the time when I joined, which was, I think, September 15th, it was my official start date, 
no one had withdrawal access. So the best thing you can do when you sold was to just sit on dapper balance. Mm -hmm. And this was three months after the earliest of early adopters joined. The first packs dropped on June 15th and I joined on September 15th. So we now have a group of 500 people, many of whom are not NBA fans. They're NFT fans, they're Dapper Labs fans, they're Crypto Kitties fans. They don't know the difference between Trey Young and Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in ICOM, a big NBA fan, a big sports fan, um, excited about the product, starting to see the potential of the product using the kind of Bitcoin gold analogy and, and you know understanding where this could potentially go, understanding it's a licensed NBA product. And we can talk about the bull case as well. And I basically said, um, I'm, I'm looking to build a fairly serious collection here. If any of you are kind of just looking to get out and looking to get out with real spendable dollars, not Dapper Balance, Ethereum, US dollars via PayPal, Venmo, um, let me know. Um, message me. And uh, I got a lot of inbounds um, and there were a lot of deals to be had. And so I was extremely lucky that I had that sort of timing. I was at the tail end of closed beta. Open beta came just a few weeks later. Um, withdrawals came just a few weeks later. And, and so I, I kind of got very lucky to thread the needle between when the community was somewhat fatigued and, and ready to move on from some of their early packs and early moments and invest in other projects because they didn't care about the NBA um, before the masses arrived. And I obviously was in the fortunate position where I had the disposable income to, to make some of these purchases. Um, so I went and I did quite a bit of shopping and I've, t- I've talked to a lot of people um, since that time over the last couple of months. And they basically told me that the community consensus in DMs was that I was absolutely insane. <laughs> and you were insane because you came in and offered actual fiat, actual US dollars for things that they didn't think were valued at what you were valuing it. Just kind of, you know, we've, we've all talked to this guy. He doesn't know much about crypto. He's never sent crypto before. He doesn't know what NFTs are. And actually an important thing that I, I did want to bring up, I had probably, um, and I'm comfortable sharing the numbers. I think it's an important part of the story. I had probably put in about $50,000 before I found out what MLB champions was. And have you heard of MLB champions? I'll explain it for the audience's uh, no. benefit. Okay, no. so MLB champions was a project that launched I, I don't even know when, I want to say 2018, 2019. And it was uh, a project that was a predecessor of Top Shot, but for baseball. Mm-hmm. And they released packs and um, the, the, they were basically figurines that looked like bobbleheads, digital bobbleheads. And it, it, in many ways, it was very much like Top Shot and it failed. And uh, people put a lot of money in and people lost a lot of money. And a lot of the early Top Shot people are people who tried out MLB champions uh, and and had a very negative experience. And so in, in my naivete, I did not know what MLB Champions was and heard some cautionary tales after I put $50,000 in. And so that, you know, that, that led me to come up for air for a little bit, but I, I still had conviction. We can kind of go through what excited me about the platform, but I, I, I got lucky that this was the right platform that ended up being the one that was timed well with the environment that came out you know, during COVID when people are, are, are on their computers all day, when crypto was becoming more and more mainstream, um, had the disposable income to act on my conviction and, and feel very fortunate to be where I am today. Yeah. Okay. Before we go further, I, I think we should let people know that you do have a small investment in Dapper. Why don't you tell the people when you made the small investment in Dapper and, and how that came to be? Um, and any other disclaimers you want to give, because I know this has gotten to be a sensitive issue. Yeah. And so I'm happy you brought that up. That is something that I did want to flag as part of this conversation. Um, so 
obviously, as you mentioned earlier, my account, uh, and we'll talk about what this actually means, is according to, to some measures around $20 million. I own a lot of moments from a lot of different sets, some of which we're going to be discussing here today. Um, I, I will do my best to not pump any specific moments. It's not my goal. It's not my intention. Um, I have no plans on selling anytime soon, so there's no dump side of, the, of any pump and dump accusations. Um, I do have a, an investment in Dapper. Um, I'll, I'm happy to disclose the amount, so just so everyone can understand in the context of my collection, it's, uh, it's not overly significant. It's obviously significant money, but it, in the context of, of my portfolio re, re, uh, related to Top Shot, it's not huge. It's a $20,000 investment into Dapper, um, and that came about uh, through a community member. Um, so there's uh, a guy named Drew Austin. He, he goes by Drew Ventures on uh, Twitter and Top Shot. And Drew's a close friend of mine now. He came onto the platform not too much, not too uh, long after I joined. And we kind of hit it off from the beginning. We talked strategy and we, we talked uh, investment approach and my philosophies. And he felt that I, I helped him build up a, a collection in a, in a smart way and as a way of kind of thanking me. Um, he, through his investment firm, got an allocation to one of the Dapper's investment rounds and it was essentially oversubscribed from, from the time um, he got it off the ground. He, he gave me a call and said, hey, uh, there's an opportunity for you to invest in Dapper. Uh, if, if you want, I've carved out a piece for you, just given all the help you gave me early on. Um, and so I jumped and I didn't look at a single number, didn't look at any of the financials, any of the valuations. I just said, hey, I think this is a great team to align with and I'm excited about it. And so I do think that's important to note for everyone. I do have a, a small investment in Dapper. I, try very hard to maintain a balanced view. I'm not nervous about criticizing Dapper for things they've done wrong, um, but I, I thought it was a good financial opportunity. Yeah, and to be clear, the latest round, I mean, uh, what I've read at least is that it's gonna be at a $2 billion valuation. So 20,000 into a $2 billion valuation. I don't know what valuation you have, you don't have to say. I, I'm just saying it's relatively small. Anyways, I'm gonna, I, I have plenty of questions about Dapper in general, and, and you of the $20,000 stake into Dapper can certainly uh, answer. I, I Do you want to say how much you, I mean, people are probably wondering, you ran into ran up a $20 million account valuation. Do you have any idea how much you've spent so far uh, accumulating that? I do know. So so I've kept pretty meticulous uh, records uh, th throughout my finance career. I've become a bit of a, a spreadsheet hardo. Um, and so I've got pr pretty meticulous records. And um uh, this is obviously um, information that may be beneficial for the audience or maybe people want to hear it. So I'll, I've put in about $175,000, which is obviously a house um, or, or a, an extremely nice car or rent for many, many years. And, uh, and I recognize that. And I recognize that many, most people are not in the position to just put $175,000 into a platform like this and yeah, so, so that, that's what my sure. investment was up front. So if, if, if you're running some numbers on the side there, it's been a, a healthy uh, return, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, we got a question from Andy, who we know from Club Top Shot. Uh, Andy says, does he have a sharpest buy or particular moment he's super proud of getting? And how did he get it? I mean, you have LeBron hollow, you have LeBron's from the top, you have some Zion Cosmics. Is there any sharpest buy or moment that stands out and how'd you get it? Uh, so, so I think... Look, anyone who is buying anything in September has done extremely well. So I don't like to think of any of those as overly sharp buys. I mean, you could have thrown your money anywhere and, and done very well. I think I have um, some fun buys that I'd probably r rather discuss. So 
potentially the fa my, my favorite moment in my collection is the Jamal Murray Western Conference Finals layup. Um, the one that everyone put side by side with the Michael Jordan layup mm -hmm. and a really cool play. And Jamal Murray is a, a ton of fun as a player. Um, when that moment came out, um, I spent hours and hours and hours refreshing the page, waiting to see when someone pulled out the number 23 serial from a pack and obviously 23 is not Jamal Murray's number it's not the number one it's not the last mint um, and, and we'll talk about the significance of, of serials um, but I am a big fan of, of Jordan of the history of the game of LeBron and so I, I like the number 23 and because of the play's similarity to the Jordan layup I, I really wanted to get that number 23 I thought it would be a fun thing to have and so when I saw that someone had pulled the moment um, just because you can see on, on the blockchain, once it's pulled, I messaged the person right away. It was still in the early days when I, I knew basically everyone by their username um, and messaged him, probably overpaid at the time by 30%. But the, the audience table will laugh at what the total payment was. I paid the guy um, $100. Um, <laughs> and at the time, I, I, I kid you not, it was probably worth $50. Um, and obviously, it was a, it was a lifetime ago. But that's one of my favorite moments just because the significance of the number in the play. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about these account valuation things. You mentioned the blockchain and how one thing about blockchain technology that I think is going to end up changing the world is trustless um, ledger that can't, cannot be changed. So one thing you can see, you can see every transaction, you can see every card that I have, you can see every card that Mike has, you can see, you can get so much data off of this blockchain. And so there's all these sites sprouting up that give you account valuation. And so a lot of these are doing this based on lowest ask. And again, we can track these. The thing is at the lowest ask, it's at uh, liquid moments, you know, like some of the low cost things, it's probably pretty accurate. Is it accurate though at high end moments, right? How many people are out there willing to pay the 200K lowest ask on a uh, Zion Cosmic or whatever. So how accurate do you think these account valuation tools are, especially at the high end? And how would you go about actually valuing your account? Yeah, so, so it's a good question. Um, I think it, you sort of started to answer the way I would like to answer, which is in any market, there's a bid ask spread. Um, there's a bid ask spread uh, on public equities on Apple. Really, the more liquid the the underlying asset, the, the narrower the bid ask spread. And so I think given the uh, current state of the user base, uh, base moments, and a lot of rare moments, uh, and not all base moments, obviously there are exceptions like LeBron series one and whatnot, but most base moments have a pretty narrow bid ask spread. I think if I were to go and list um, a $100 market price low moment for $98, I think it would sell pretty quickly. So mm -hmm. I think for a majority of most users accounts, the, the marketplace uh, market price low is um, a, a, a decent estimate. Um, my account is an exception to that. So uh, if anyone spent time on some of the account leaderboards, um, I, I have far fewer moments than most people up there, which means my average moment is a lot more expensive. I have uh, a higher lean towards legendaries. And, and we can talk through why that happened and why that was my strategy. Um, but I think in a case like mine, um, there are gives and takes, and, and this kind of applies to everyone. So if I had to come up with a magic formula, and this is something that I've posted about before in the Discord, it would be something like take your market price low, knock off, let's call it 10% because of this bid ask spread, then go and find anomalies in your account. Now we're talking jersey numbers, number ones, last mints, legendaries, um, and, and anything that's an anomaly that 
the market price low wouldn't be a reasonable estimate for it. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can argue that single digit serial numbers, anything under a hundred um, special serial numbers, 420 people like, um, it, 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 they traded a premium, they do. And yeah. so um, I think you basically take your market price low number, knock off, let's call it 10%, look around on a, an ad hoc basis and say, hey, um, I have, for, for example, in my account, I have uh, Jokic's number one cosmic. That's obviously not a fair representation at market price low. So that's actually something that I would want to add something sure. to value for. I have a lot of last mint cosmics. I have jersey numbers. I have things like that. And so the market price low discounts the bid ask spread. So it probably inflates your account by 5%, but it also assumes you have the worst serial number of every single moment in your account. And so um, there are a few uh, tracking websites that have started to sprout up that are trying to account for that discrepancy and give some added credit for top 10, number one, uh, mm -hmm. Jersey number and, and things like that. So I think it is too nuanced of, of a situation to answer uh, for on a general basis, I think for my account, it's probably a, a, a decent estimate because I do have a lot of the kind of premium number ones, jerseys, last minutes type things like, like I've talked about. I think in answer to your specific question, do I think that because Zion's cosmic market price low is what is it, $200,000 right now, that means I could turn around and sell it for $200,000? I think, no, by, by definition, if someone wanted to pay me $200,000 for a random serial number, they would just bought the one in the market already. Sure. Um, and, and so I do think there's a bid ask spread to take into consideration. I think that some people look towards the last sale. Um, some people look towards um, how many are left in the market. And it's, it's a really, really challenging conversation. And so from my account, given all the gives and takes that I've just highlighted, I, I think it's a reasonable estimate. Um, and I do think that the high end of the market has a kind of interesting situation right now and that there is an artificial cap in some ways on the high end. And I say that because first the, on Dapper's website, you can't list for more than $250,000 right now. And so, you know, we've seen a LeBron Cosmic go for 208,000. I don't believe there are any Cosmics or Hollows listed for LeBron right now. Um, obviously there are Jersey matches for some significant moments and moments that are, are clearly worth more than 250,000. Um, right now, and they just can't be listed. Sure. Um, a a second issue um, is that it's just a it's a big check for any individual to write. There aren't that many people out there who can go spend five hundred thousand dollars on a Top Shot moment. Um, and so I do think that fractionalized ownership is a great solution to that. It's been you know a lot of people have brought up that concept, but you know, let's say LeBron Cosmics should be worth $750,000. There may not be a buyer there, but there may be 750 people who want to put $1,000 each in. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's not dissimilar from what people have done by grouping together to buy you know, the $208,000 LeBron Cosmic was a group purchase. Um, I think you've done a few group purchases. I, I've done a couple of group purchases. Um, and, and so I think yeah. that sort of addresses well, that the, issue. Yeah. In the physical card market, there's group purchase all the time through things like Rally or, you know, there's other sites like that that allow you to fractionally invest in. And Dave's is a new too. one there, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I definitely think that would be uh, well within the realm of possibility here. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, um, and the, the other one item I wanted to, to mention on that uh, specific, it, it, 
is even for the items that are within Dapper's limits right now, let's say $100,000 item, there's not a great way to make that purchase right now. There, the, you know, you can't buy it on your credit card. There's Dapper limits on how much credit card you can mm-hmm. uh, spend per, per day. I think it's $5,000 per day. You can't do it from a bank transfer from what I know. And so your only real answer is to use crypto. And um, a lot of people who would be interested in investing real money, I've spoken to a few of them, don't have the crypto experience to to do that. And so I do think the high end sort of suppressed right now. So in, in, in summary, I think the account value is a very nuanced thing. I think in my particular case, it's probably a ballpark reasonable estimate, which is yeah. a, a scary, overwhelming, exciting concept. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Okay. Uh, you said you don't plan to sell, which means you think in the near term, which uh, you think Top Shot is here to stay. Um, I also think Top Shot is here to stay. However, I do want to say that I wonder what will happen once people aren't printing off 10X, like it's nothing. I mean, my God, Mike, you know, back in my day, you know, I would do inhumane things for a 20% ROI. You don't want to know what I would do for a 5% edge on somebody else for 20% ROI. When you're offering, when Top Shot is offering 3K plus of EV in a pack for $99, well, of course, people are going to be insanely interested. Of course, the demand of course, it's going to be extremely popular when you can buy a moment, like literally any moment, like you said, and I'm not saying this is the case anymore because it's not, but two months ago or even a month ago or six weeks ago, when you could buy just blindly any moment and have a 10 X in a week. Well, yeah, that's going to be popular, man, really freaking popular. So I wonder what will happen when there's more efficiency in the market. Let's say the EV of a pack is equal to the price or the EV of a pack is actually far less than the price that it costs. Or if you buy a moment and it goes up 10% in a month, well, you've crushed, right? That's like an outlier good outcome. And so I know there's all these people out there that are saying, oh, you know, I'm just a collector. I buy what I like. That is fucking bullshit, man. Like, I, I, I really don't believe that. I think it's people are having a lot of fun, but they're having a lot of fun because it's a literal printing press right now. So I assume that you think eventually, I don't know when, but eventually the market will come to efficiency. Do you think the popularity of Top Shot once that happens uh, is here to stay at that point? So I think it's a lot of things to, to unpack there. I think I'll start with your last point because it's fresh on my mind that you know you think it's bullshit that people are in for the collectible versus just the, the money flip. And, and I would say I agree, but I think that same principle applies in almost every collectible market in the world, whether it's physical cards, whether it's art, whether it's stamps. Um, a, a huge driver of, of these markets are um, you know, the financial possibilities here. And yeah. that's a huge part of what makes them attractive. When, when you could look at any publication, when someone's talking about a physical sports card that's really cool and really exciting, I can, you can bet your ass that they're, they're talking about the value of the card as part of that article. It's not, look how cool this Mickey Mantle is. It's from 1952. Um, and, you know, right before he hit a home run, it's, this is a $5.2 million Mickey Mantle card. And in fine print, here's why it matters. <laughs> so I think that applies in every market. I don't think it's, it's a bug yeah. of the system. I think it's, it's a natural outcome. So, but in, uh, but in every market, you're not 10 Xing in a, in a week. No, of course. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so, so I'll get to that as well. So I, I think that, there are a few things here. Um, I think I, I put up a poll about this recently on, on Twitter. I'm not convinced that Dapper is going to bridge that gap. Um, I don't want to speak on Dapper's behalf. I, again, I'm a very, very small investor. They do not care what I think. Um, th- this is just my view. Um, I don't think Dapper necessarily plans on bridging the, the value uh, or the cost of a pack price to the EV of a pack. And I say that because all they're really doing there, 
um, is transferring value from Dapper, re re revenue they could have captured, to users who are randomly selected. It's a, it's a lottery of sorts. Mm -hmm. And from Dapper's perspective, um, and, and this will come into play later when we talk withdrawals, they are a profitable company today. They just raised $250 million. They're in talks with uh, they're, they're more than in talks with the UFC and Dr. Seuss. Um, I saw something on Twitter that they have something with the NFLPA in the works. And so they uh, are, are not hurting for cash. They have some of the wealthiest backers um, in terms of the VCs they work with. They have the NBA as a partner. They have NBA players as a partner. They are focused on growing the user base, on making it a great experience. And so for them, maybe their view as part of the great experience is the lottery ticket element oh, yeah. of here's a $99 pack. We know the expected value is 2000. Have fun with it. Now, I think the more important point there is uh, the $2,000 expected value of the pack isn't just $2,000 um, that comes from nowhere. There are collectors out there who want to pay $2,000 for that moment. So yes, you go and buy the premium pack for $99, but it's worth $2,000 because there's an entire market behind that saying, I want to pay $2,000 for these moments. And I don't want to pay $2,000 for these moments because it's a guaranteed 10x as soon as I open the pack. I want to pay because that's what I think they're worth. And you know, historically, there's been good returns so far. The market's been a bit flatter recently, but I think the, the really important point there is the expected value is completely driven by consumer demand. It's, it's, not, mm -hmm. it's not like you go and you get to take um, your pack and, and hand it into the government who hands you $2,000. It's other collectors and sure. other collectors who want the moment for one reason or another, whether it's financial speculation, whether it's true collector's joy, whether it's to flex to their friends, who knows what it is. And so I guess the answer is the, the 10Xing, I don't know if, if it's definitely going to stop, but let's assume it does stop. Um, I, I'm sure a, a reasonable portion of the user base, let's say the user base is 200,000. I think it's it's hard to think about because there are multi-accounters and bots and whatever mm -hmm. else. But let's just say it's 200,000. Maybe half of those users are pe people who are just in it for the flip. What I'd say is, um, and I'll, I'll kind of leak into why I'm, I remain bullish here, we have a, a blueprint of how a market like this plays out, which is the physical sports cards market. Uh, you know, having a physical card is appealing because it's, again, a story. It's something your friends know about. It's something your friends can say, holy crap, I, I know that's an expensive and valuable card. It's really cool that you have that. And so we know that, that that's an itch that humans have, and this scratches that itch. So even if a reasonable portion of the current user base are in it just for financial gains, which is inevitable when you're offering a free 10x, um, I do think there's a, a strong core of the user base that really enjoys the product, enjoys talking to their friends about it. I can, I can tell you I'm in a dozen uh, or, or more new group chats where I've reconnected with friends that I haven't talked uh, in a significant way with in, in years to just talk about Top Shot. And it's not just look how much money I'm making. It's, oh, this is a really cool moment. I'm super excited about my cereal. Um, yeah. And, and for me personally, I'm watching way more NBA than I normally do. I'm more of a read the analytics and uh, look, look at uh, Zach Lowe articles than actually watch the Knicks. Uh, and, and now I've got the Knicks game on every time they're playing. And um, I'm, I've got my eyes laser focused on RJ Barrett and whether or not he's going to uh, ever take over and, and come within a stone's throw of John Morant. And for me, it's completely reinvigorated um, my interest in the NBA. And I think the NBA themselves recognizes that. And that's one of the key aspects of why I, I remain bullish. The, the NBA clearly uh, looks progressive, smart, um, interesting, forward thinking, because they're really the first ones to the gate here. 
And as we saw earlier, I don't know if you saw this, but Rachel Nichols um, yeah. tweeted earlier that they're going to be announcing the Rising Stars lineup for All-Star Weekend through Top Shot. And so it's something that the NBA is leaning into. The NBA stands to benefit enormously from this. And so what better organization in the world to align yourself with than, than the NBA? And, and that's a big part of the reason why I remain bullish and why I don't plan on selling anytime soon. Okay. I, I think that the counter to that would be, and I agree with you, there's going to be more users. This is, you know, uh, the D, uh, we get, especially on this podcast, I'm sure people listening to this. I mean, we get very into the DFS bubble. Everybody in DFS is in on this. And that's why I talked, you know, a lot about the money part of it. And I, I agree with you, there are collectors, but um, I think that people will not be as excited when it's not 10xing. They may, they may still um, uh, collect and they may still buy stuff, but there won't be this like fervent, you know, I'm spending Saturday and Sunday waiting on a pack when um, it's not, uh, you're not printing off money easily. But I do think that the user base is going to grow. I mean, the, the, we are only scratching the surface. There's still a ton of people that have never heard of Top Shot. NBA is a global game. They're going to keep promoting it. I think though people get tripped up though, and maybe I could be wrong here, if they think that growing user base means that the market will definitely go up. So I'm curious what you think. If let's say the user base 10X is, I would say that doesn't even mean that the uh, market will even 2X or even 1X. It could, the market could actually go down the more people that come on it. Um, what do you think is gonna happen as this thing scales out of beta and as more and more people uh, get on the platform? Yeah, I mean, so, so I think, just with, with basic microeconomics concept, uh, if the user base 10x is, unless it's, it's a very um, a very lukewarm new user base that isn't actually interested in the product and maybe will buy one moment, I think, I think you can reasonably assume that a 10x in the user base will increase demand. And so depending on the supply side of things, you can reasonably assume that prices will go up in general. And so obviously the supply side's a, a huge variable there, but I, I do think if, if the platform 10X is that we'll definitely see price appreciation, um, just simply because that's an enormous amount of demand. And they could also release, you know, 100,000 series three moments that could be gobbled up by the new people. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that unlike a lot of crypto projects, um, but very much like what a lot of sports card collectors are used to, you're putting faith in Dapper here. It's, it's undeniable. Dapper is a central authority, which is a lot of people in the crypto world dislike mm -hmm. that concept. For me, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I think Dapper's financial incentive is to make this a very exciting, fun, user-friendly experience to keep the excitement, to keep people coming back. And a quick way to, um, to, to veer off of that course is to flood the market with moments. And they've been very careful to not do that um, so far. Um, I, I, I will say, and I've, I've kind of alluded to this before, um, when I first joined the platform, the biggest risk I saw was that Dapper is a trusted party here. And what if they flood the market? And so what I tried to do was to identify unique assets that even if they come out with series three and get uh, circulating counts up to 2 million uh, addition sizes for, for Steph Curry season three, I don't think that really hurts the, the value of Cosmics per, per se, right. because Cosmics a one-time set. And so th that's why my account is as top heavy as it is. I wanted to protect myself uh, from oversupply. And so even though I have faith that Dapper 
has a fantastic team and will be conscious of supply and focused on supply because they're in it for the long haul and every incentive pushes them. It's not because they're good guys. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do think that they're a great team over there and they act in good faith, but it's because their financial incentives lie there. They want sure. the NBA to be happy. They want the user base to be happy. They want to make a lot of money themselves. They want to make a lot of money for their investors. And the best way to do that is not to focus on short-term profits and making money off pack drops and marketplace fees. It's to build a 5 million person user base that's interacting with the platform, that's playing the game they'll come out with in the future, that's um, posting about this, that's building out um, you know, homes in virtual worlds and displaying this on the wall. And you know, th this gets very pie in the sky pr pretty quickly, but that's, I think, their end goal, to build an enormous, enormous user base. And they're conscious of the fact that flooding the market with moments goes kind of counter to that goal. Yeah. Okay. Let's run through some of these issues that the top shot naysayers have uh, quickly here. And, and I should say that, I, you know, I'm not really uh, buying and selling. I have a piece of some of a few uh, high-end cards. And I, you know, if I buy something, I just kind of plan to hold it. So I, a lot of this stuff, uh, I'm not too worried about um, as I'm not like trading and stuff like that. But uh, people have issues. I think the biggest one they would talk about is the withdrawal issue right now. Um, so they obviously have KYC and I think everybody's okay with that. Know your customer, right? And they make people go through AML stuff, anti-money laundering. And so I think people's concern is after they've completed the KYC, after they've completed the AML, people are still having trouble getting money off. And not everybody, but people are still having trouble getting their money off. And, you know, there's all these rumors, oh, they're insolvent. Um, they can't pay dapper balances. They say it's backed by um, U.S. dollars. Uh, people doubt that. Do you have any concerns about the liquidity behind Dapper right now and that your Dapper balance is not actually tied to US dollars? Uh, so first of all, like you, I'm not um, selling at this point. So it doesn't affect me personally. But having said that, that doesn't diminish from my ability to see how it could be concerning. Someone sitting on $20,000 of Dapper balance, <clears throat> excuse me, they, they need to pay a bill. They need to uh, do anything. And the question is, is that real money? Um, and, and so I'll first talk through where I think Dapper could have done better, and then I'll, I'll kind of answer the question. So Dapper um, has experienced something that very, very few companies have that, that I know about, um, and which is they have literally 100x their user base in two months. So there was a little tracker that I used to keep in the Discord when, when things were nice and, and uh, a nice little small village community of, of 2000 of us. And on December 31st last year, so two months and what, three days ago, there were 1,900 users on the platform. And, mm -hmm. and that was probably with some dormant accounts. So let's call it 1,500 users. Today, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 150, 200,000 users. And what Rachel Nichols just did will probably uh, increase that number pretty seriously. And so they have literally 100x their user base in two months. And I don't know of any company that could withstand that without having some issues. And so I don't want to be an apologist. I don't want to um, make excuses. But having said that, they literally had one person working support, working AML, working customer service up until probably four weeks ago. And anyone who's worked in any sort of customer facing type industry knows you can't just hire someone and then be good. They can't just go and take their $250 million pile of Union Square Ventures capital and, and, and say, okay, we're going to throw all our money at it. The problem goes away. It takes time to ramp people up. It takes time to ensure that you're doing it in an appropriate way that doesn't encounter regulatory concerns. Um, and so 
Um, I, I can understand why they had issues where I think they really, really, really screwed up and where I think they would like to have another shot is on the communication side of things. So they have under communicated. I think that the user base asks questions and the answers are sort of vague. It feels a little black boxy. It feels a little Ponzi. It feels a little kind of what's going on here. Why can't you just give me a straight answer? And if I were in their shoes, I would have set expectations a lot sooner than they did and a lot better than they did. Um, and I think that they have themselves to blame for the PR backlash here. Um, I think even now they can come up with a better statement, release it on Twitter, release it on the Discord, release it on the website itself and acknowledge that this has been a big issue. I don't think they need a remedy per se. That's up to them to decide, but acknowledge this has been a big issue um, sympathize a little bit with your user base. Um, you know, there they are kind of sitting, it seems like in their ivory tower, um, sitting on piles and piles of cash, making a ton of money. Their flow tokens are, are up multiples and multiples and multiples every day. And their user base, the, the core people who make them what they are, are, are telling them the, the withdrawal experience is lacking and it's creating a serious problem. And, and so the recommendation I would give to, to Dapper is to communicate better. I, I don't know what the issues are. I don't know, um, I don't have great detail. Um, I do know that it's fraud and regulatory related, um, that their big concern is basically someone steals a credit card, um, buys a bunch of Dapper balance, um, you know, maybe does some um, money laundering through buying and selling moments and then withdraws. And, and so as a result of that kind of situation, before they have better controls in place, it's a, it's a more manual process. And as, as I mentioned, they don't have the manpower right now to handle it. And so basically they're kicking the can and, and you know, they've said, they've given people feedback. It's going to be one to two weeks. It's going to be 30 days. And I think that they, if, if they don't know how long it's going to be, they should say that they should say plan yeah. to not see your money for three months and if you're not comfortable with that, unfortunately, you know, we're still in beta. It's, it's not going to be a great experience for you. And they didn't do a good job of that. And there are people who put their money in six weeks ago, two months ago, who don't have withdrawal capabilities. And I don't think it's, it's fair to them, but I do think that that's the reasonable explanation that a hundred X of a user base um, is very straining on any company. And, and so with regard to the actual underlying issue here is Dapper solvent. I think that my answer is a, without having any access to financial statements or bank accounts, I can't actually give a conclusive answer. Having said that, the contextual evidence is a, is a screaming yes to me. I mean, this is a, an organization. It's not some, you know, two-bit, uh, two, two guys in their garage who set up a website um, organization. Um, I think there is a, a near 0% chance that they... Um, are doing anything underhanded. They have some of the biggest and best VC partners in the world. They're a partner of the NBA. Um, they have an NBA license. They've, as we've talked about, they just raised $250 million. Uh, those investors don't just put their capital behind any team, behind any sort of sketchy investment situation. And Roham himself came out on Twitter and said that every um, dapper dollar is backed by USDC. As, as you uh, alluded to, Adam, and I, I responded to someone in, in one of the tweets this morning who had asked about that. So if anyone wants to go see the Twitter evidence, it's, it's out there. Uh, Roham has, has said it. And for me, the CEO coming out and saying it, the, the partners they have, the amount of capital they've raised at the valuation they raised it, um, I, I have no doubt that the Dapper balance is, is solvent. I, I, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is on the manpower side and 
the fact that you know maybe they'd let the, the growth outpace their capabilities and not all of it's in their control, but the aspects that were in control, they dropped the ball on. And, um, you know, there, there are some questions, obviously, on, on the, I think the guy's name is Ricky Sanders, who got a, a large withdrawal recently. Why did he get preferential treatment? And I think it was an inadequate answer and probably a problematic decision by them. But I think their thesis there was, look, we're, we're in this for fraud prevention. Um, and this is a public figure who's got a blue check mark on Twitter, who is, is a known commodity. And so he is far less of a flight risk than most people. So we kind of want to show, yes, the money's here. Yes, you can do big withdrawals. We're working on it. Um, and, and that was a that kind of backfired, I think. And yeah. look, they're, they're working through a lot of things right now. But uh, and I think it's fair to criticize. I think it's the right thing to do to criticize, to, to make some noise. That's why they're in beta, so they can work on things like this. But I have no doubt that they're a solvent company that it'll be accessible to everyone as soon as they can reasonably have it available to everyone. Yeah, blue check mark Twitter uh, strikes yet again. Um, yeah, and that was what I was going to say too. Like the sharpest people in business aren't investing a $2 billion valuation like in just some random dudes who are being shady. And, you know, I, I think that, I mean, as someone who started a website, I mean, we had major problems our website crashed we were overwhelmed by customer support and obviously we're talking like one bazillionth of a fraction of what top shot uh is going through right now too so i, I understand that maybe more than than other people do um okay other issues that people bring up they say oh this is just a ponzi right people like mike you know the early adopters they get in they buy stuff cheap and the only way for it to grow is to pump it and bring in new people and i mean let's be honest like this stuff on the surface is worthless. It's only worth anything because other people think that it is. And, you know, after Bale's John Moran article came out um, and I saw all the response because I was tagged in there or whatever. And uh, uh, people were just saying, oh, you're trying to pump your own bags of this worthless shit. And, and honestly, like, it, it's just so tilting now that all of DFS Twitter has turned into like one big top shot circle jerk slash victory lap. That's just a personal tilt on, on my behalf. But anyways, what do you say to people who, hey, this is a Ponzi early doctors get in, they pump it. And now people getting in now, well, um, you know, they're kind of shit out of luck. Look, I, I think the, the, the pumping thing is a, is a serious concern in this NFT world overall, not just top shot. A, a huge issue is that there are a few influential people who they get into a project, they post about it and people uh, ape in as it's conventionally known to the project, which gives them an exit. Um, I think that it's a problem. And I, the best thing I can I can say to people is do your own research, make sure you're comfortable with the product. Um, but look to, to your question, nothing that's a, a true collectible has any intrinsic value. Um, you know, a, a piece of art is not going to keep you warm at night. It's not going to put food on the table. It's not going to uh, you know do anything with intrinsic value. The only value a piece of art has, aside from the visual pleasure of looking at it, is that someone else will buy it from you. And so. That's not what a Ponzi scheme is. Um, that's, I think that's a, a misuse of the term. A Ponzi scheme yeah. is, a, is a financial um, firm that pays out existing investors with new investor money. This is a free market that anyone can enter. No one's hiding the ball. I'm not saying um, that I'm holding assets that I'm not. A Ponzi scheme in, in general um, re relies on misleading financial statements and basically showing people gains that you don't really have. So they give you money so you can pay off your existing investors who are withdrawing. There's fraud, there's deceit. Um, and this is basically here is the product we're offering. Yes, Mike over here has a nice collection. Um, 
you don't have to do it. We're not, uh, there, there's no misrepresentation here. There's no fraud. It, it's a, a digital highlight that is, has verifiable ownership. And that's the value. If you don't see value there, that's okay. There's plenty of other where, uh, places for you to park your capital, other investments, other fund projects for, for you. And, and that's fine. Um, for the accusations of a Ponzi scheme. I mean, it's, it's a business that markets. Dapper generates revenue when they sell packs. They generate revenue when they have marketplace sales. They, they market like any other profit-seeking business. Um, and you know, that kind of is what it is. I think, that, I think the pump and dump thing is a real concern. I, I can say that I have no intention of selling. Um, I, you can look at my account and my account history, part of the beauty of the blockchain. Um, I am the second or third uh, largest account on the platform. I know most of the other big holders, you can see their activities. And yeah, some people, of course, are going to sell. I mean, people think I'm insane for not selling and, 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 and they're probably right. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a kind of lose-lose situation. If, if, if I hold, people think I'm an idiot. If, if I sell, people think I'm pumping and dumping. So <laughs> I, I, I got to kind of pick my poison here. And that's fine. So look, if people define incorrectly, in my view, a Ponzi scheme as... Yeah. Dapper Labs, who um, is running a profit-seeking business, marketing and bringing in new users to a product that the NBA endorses, that venture capital firms endorse, that collectors enjoy, and bringing in new, new users and some early adopters exiting at attractive valuations, they, they can have their Ponzi scheme. That's just not what a Ponzi scheme means. And, um, you know, that's, that's just it's a business. It's, it's all out there. It's a completely free market. If, you know, if you start introducing fraud and deceit, it's a different conversation, but none of that exists. It's just, you know, if, if some people don't like the product that that's perfectly okay, no one's forcing you to get into it. It's, sure. Yeah. Uh, I want to circle back or quickly to the withdrawal thing. What do you think is going to happen once the withdrawal issue gets solved? Cause I think you and I both think that, you know, whenever it is three months, six months, a year, whatever, the withdrawals will be solved and seamless. What do you think is going to happen to the market? Because right now, obviously, there's a ton of people that overwhelming majority of people can't even withdraw. So they have this dapper balance. They're ready to fire at any time. What do you think is going to happen to the market when people actually can withdraw? Yeah, so it's, so it's, a, it's a good question. Um, I think inevitably, you have to imagine that some of the user base will take money off the platform, which is the opposite effect of, of users joining. There's less money in circulation. It might hurt moment prices, but un unfortunately, it's not going to be a controlled experiment. We can't take this same set of user base and say, now you all have withdrawals. Let's see what happens to the market. It's competing with user growth, new marketing mm -hmm. efforts, new products, maybe them unveiling the game at some point, maybe them launching out of beta. And so I think the short answer is we're not going to know what the impact is, but surely there's going to be some um, selling pressure, some you know less demand because people are taking money off the platform. Um, it, of course there is. You know today there's a hundred dollars in the pot. If you allow fifty of it to to leave the platform and, and people withdraw, there's there's less demand. But again, you know that that's that should be the case. People should have the ability to take money off the platform. It will be the case. And then at some point we'll kind of find the equilibrium where between new buyer interest um, and, and buyers and sellers taking, you know, bringing money in, taking money out, um, we'll, we'll find a balance. So, you know, of course, opening the spigot for withdrawals will hurt the market a little bit, but I, I don't think that's a concerning thing. I think it's a natural evolution of the market. Sure. Okay. Uh, let's talk strat for a second here. I know a lot of people are listening are probably like, oh, you guys have talked long enough without talking strat. It's ridiculous. I just want to print off some money. So I think the biggest question people are asking now is, is it too late, right? Like we, we have seen uh, exponential growth and then we've seen the market kind of flatten off. Should people be buying now? Is it too late? People are asking things like, are the rookies priced in? They're going to get these badges or whatever. We'll be able to search by 
rookies soon? Is the rookie stuff priced in all this other stuff? Uh, what do you think now? Is it too late? I guess is kind of the overarching strategy question. Sure. So at the, at the risk of, of, pumping accusations. I, <laughs> I remain very bullish. Um, I think that my actions will hopefully um, verify that th this is my, my true belief and, and not just trying to pump my own bags. Again, I don't plan on selling. Just feel free to tag my account and, and watch it all day. Nothing's going to happen. I, I might open packs when I'm pressured to do it on Club Top Shot, but otherwise <laughs> nothing's going to change in, in my account. So the things that give me confidence um, are, are the following. I've got a little list here. Um, first and foremost, uh, like I mentioned before, is the NBA alignment. Again, I think the NBA looks like absolute geniuses right now. They're the first league here. Every other league is scrambling to, to replicate this experience. Um, and the NBA looks progressive, forward-thinking. The players um, themselves are invested. I don't know what the financial breakdown is, but the NBA surely benefits from pack sales, marketplace sales, um, the additional attention. Again, I mean, I, I now pay for NBA League Pass. I did not pay for NBA League Pass last season. It's just, it's renewed interest in the league. And I think that is a fantastic thing for them. And the NBA is one of the best marketing machines in the world. And to be, again, aligned with that is, is a fantastic opportunity. I can't invest in the NBA as an owner. Um, maybe if, if everyone keeps pumping my bags one day, um, but <laughs> This, this is the best way I can think of to kind of align myself with the NBA. Um, I think a second and very, very, very important point is the addressable market here. So firstly, from the geographic standpoint, um, really all you need to participate in, uh, in Top Shot is internet access. And I think that's an immensely, immensely powerful concept. We in the U.S. here forget uh, the privilege that we have of being able to go into a store and buy a pack of cards. We take that for granted. A huge portion of the world, many of many, many people out there are, are NBA fans and they cannot participate in this collectibles market, the physical card market. Lo and behold, we now have a solution for that. We have NBA Top Shot and someone in, you know, some of the early collectors are in the Philippines, Indonesia, um, Germany, which probably has physical cards, but less accessible than we have here, um, various parts of Africa, South America. And that's, that geographic reach is completely impossible for physical cards to replicate. There are challenges with um, postal service, with uh, you know, cr crossing insurance, with uh, buying and selling, with fraud, um, all that sort of thing. So the addressable market's huge. And then importantly, even within the markets where the physical card market exists, I, for example, have never felt comfortable investing in the physical card market in a real way. Um, the, the obvious problems are uh, authenticity, fraud, lack of transparency overall. I mean, when you go into a, a card shop, they show you a, a cool U Darvish uh, signed card. I do not know what anyone else might've paid for that. I don't know what people have paid for it historically. I don't know what the guy selling it to me paid for it. I don't know what other versions of that card exist. I don't know if anyone else, the guy down the, down the street is selling that same card for half as much. All of those things are solved by Top Shot. And so for me, as someone with a sort of financial investment background, that level of information is extremely important for me to get comfortable putting you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars into a single moment, and I, I think the addressable market is just enormous here because we have we have geographic reach, which is a wider reach and a deeper reach within the existing markets of the physical card world. 
Um, I have my note here, which I should have updated um, after Rachel Nichols, but Dapper is essentially not marketing right now. Dapper is literally in beta. Um, they've come out and said that despite all these NBA players doing Twitch streams and coming on Club Top Shot and uh, getting involved and tweeting about it, it's not endorsed or paid for by, by Dapper. It is organic right now. And I think that's extremely, extremely powerful and just goes to show what is going to happen when Dapper actually does turn on the marketing jets. And so Dapper is not marketing. Um, Top Shot's currently not accessible in China, importantly, and it's not a definite that they will be able to get into China and get through the regulatory hoops that are necessary to do so. Um, but the, the, the market in China is enormous. They have a huge appetite for collectibles, big NBA fan base. I think that uh, potential to get there is extremely important. Um, I also think that things right now are sort of hurt by the withdrawal issues, by people's lack of trust in Dapper, by a lot of really, really smart people having questions about Dapper. And mm -hmm. uh, despite what I said before, I think that for people who aren't in the trenches and don't have the level of information that I may have as someone who spent a long time getting to know the top shot market and um, has spoken directly with the Dapper team, you, you could ask some reasonable questions. What the hell is going on here? Where's my money? How can I not get my money? And that introduces concerns and people don't want to put more money in and people are worried and they post about it and it leads to other issues. So I think that's suppressing the market. I think also the maintenance issues don't help. Um, the website's been struggling. It's doing a lot better these days, but they go into maintenance too often. Um, it's kind of a scary concept when it goes to maintenance. My, my, my collection suddenly becomes uh, an, an air ball account. And I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I thought I had a valuable asset. What if the website never comes back up? What does that mean? Um, and, I, and then the last point I wanted to make is that I think and, and this, this is probably second in importance after the NBA alignment is the ecosystem being built around Top Shot means in my view that it's here to stay. There are podcasts, websites, blogs, articles, YouTube streams, genuine engagement from NBA players. Um, it gives them an ability to connect with fans. And so the ecosystem around Top Shot is incredible. And, and to me, implies that there is a real uh, core foundation here that despite some people around the periphery having doubts and spreading concerns that it's, it's here to stay and here to stay in a big way. Um, and then the last point is just, you know, there's, there's a lot coming up in terms of the potential of NFTs in general, um, the, the game that Dapper will come out with, the third party platforms um, with, with loaning opportunities, fractionalization opportunities, uh, things like that. And then again, the pie in the sky that I mentioned before, uh, how these may play into the virtual worlds that are being created right now for anyone who's seen or read uh, Ready Player One, the, the Oasis is is being built right now effectively in a number of different ways. And I think that a lot of things move to virtual um, where these moments carry greater significance. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I guess one last thing, and then I'll end my rant. Um, there's been talks of the moments potentially being integrated into NBA fans at arenas, whether that's in the form of, hey, if you have five moments of the home team, uh, of home team players, you can get access to the Lexus club or, or wherever the more exclusive clubs are. Or we're doing a giveaway here. Everyone sign up for a Top Shot account. Um, if you're a lucky winner, we're going to give you an exclusive card or an exclusive mm -hmm. moment that you can then sell into the marketplace. And there's just tons and tons of ways this can go. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to hit on a couple of things there. First, I, I I know we had this in part of listener questions, but 
Um, while we're on the topic of, of strat, I wanted to get to go blues question because I think this is one that a lot of people have. What is the actual importance of serial numbers? Seems to be a divide on their importance outside of number one. Is jersey number, you know, last uh, moment, first mint, is there actual importance or is it just up to the market to decide? Obviously, it's just up to the market to decide. But I think people have a really hard time saying, well, why should moment number 500 be worth X more than moment 5,000? Where do you come in on this whole serial numbers debate when it comes to strat sure actually before i get to that i just want to say two things on the potential downside of top shot i I don't want it to be all rainbows and butterflies i think that the two biggest concerns and i think neither of them is likely but they're real concerns is one that the flow blockchain underlying top shot just doesn't work as well as everyone thinks it will it breaks down there's some vulnerability there's some issue Mm -hmm. there and that is a that i think it's an unlikely situation i think that we would have had more issues at this point. I think that they've got a great team over there. But if that happens, that's a big, big, big problem. Um, and the, the, the second issue is if there is a, a breakup or a disagreement with NBA and Dapper and NBA walks away and says, you know, we gave you guys a chance. You guys did all right, but we're going with a different party. And then what are our moments worth then? So I think those are two real big mm-hmm. concerns. Neither, again, I think is likely, um, but I don't want to sound all, um, all bull. There, there's some bear scenarios too. Sure. Um, and then to address your question, so on serial numbers. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the person who asked the question sort of answered the question, which is the, the market will dictate ultimately. There's nothing that, that I can say. I can't, I, you know, I, I can speculate on it, which I'm happy to do. But the answer is that the market will answer. Um, in terms of kind of special serials, n- number one, jersey number, last mints, I think that's entrenched enough in the community now where those are readily accepted. People pay more for that. You know, Bales came in with the number one Morant. Um, my two biggest purchases are a Giannis Cosmic jersey and a LeBron base number one. Um, and so for, for one reason or, or, uh, or another, those do carry significance. And I, I do as a collector, whether it's because they're worth more or whatever else, do enjoy having those more. When I'm in those group chats with my buddies, like I was talking about, everyone's like, well, you have the number one of this, you have the jersey of this, it carries significance. So for me, the question's more about, and I think this is what the asker was driving at, what are the random numbers? And mm-hmm. I think it's it's a sort of theoretical answer, but I do think it matters and it'll play out over time. Um, I'll ask you, um, if there were two moments um, priced at the exact same level, one of them was serial number, I'm picking random numbers, hopefully these have no significance to you. One of them is 7439, and one of them is 3462. Price the exact same. You've decided you want to buy that moment. Which one would you buy? Yeah, uh, of course, but I, I would buy the lower serial, but only because I guess the Top Shot community has told me that lower serial numbers are better. So, so is there a scenario where you would buy the one that's higher? You know, assuming you didn't know what was going on. For, for, for me, people are attracted to smaller numbers and lower numbers, fewer yeah. digits in the number. And so I think even if that's just convention, even if it's 55% of people, basically what will happen then is you look at the market and suddenly there isn't the one available that was number three, four, six, eight, or whatever it was. There is the one that's available that's seven, nine, three, four. And the only one that's available in the 3000s are the higher priced ones. Otherwise you would have bought those ones. And so if you extrapolate that kind of line of thinking, enough, there's going to be a natural curve where moments that are more attractive serials, even if not everyone thinks they're more attractive serials, will be priced uh, higher than lower moments because at at all else equal, people will buy the better moments. So it just tilts the scale 
over and over and over again until we, we have a curve. Um, and, th and then there are, of course, special fun numbers, um, maturity aside, 69 and 420, people like 777, people like 100, people like 1,000, people like 88888, whatever it is, um, people see significance there, people like birthdays. Um, one of my friends, uh, his, his son was born um, on the, the date of R.J. Barrett's first moment, October 23rd, 2019. And so he, he feels a special tie to that number. Sure. Um, and we're, we're working on getting him the 1023 serial of that number. Um, and, and so I think those all carry value. Um, people seem to like, there, there's often a big jump from like number 1008 to number 999, for example. Um, and so I, I, I do think that it matters, uh, but only in the sense that it matters because it matters the same way you said, it matters because it matters. And, and yep. that's it, the market said it does. Exactly, and, and it's not hard to, well, maybe I shouldn't say it's not hard. Um, you can figure out exactly how the market is pricing it. You know, obviously all the data is out there. You can figure out what the market thinks a X number is worth, X serial is worth more than the other one if you put a little bit of work into it. Um, I wanted to listen to questions, but I wanted to run this NFTs as a whole thing past you before we get to that. So I've spent a, a pretty decent amount of time over the last two to three months trying to read and learn and do stuff and just be as early as I can be. Because like, let's be honest, like in my life, I've spent way too much time focused on trying to be right and trying really hard to be right instead of just trying to be directionally right and take more shots on, on being early. So I've tried to just take shots on being early and I've bought some absurd stuff. I know I've talked to you about it a little bit. Like I bought Top Shots, I bought CryptoPunks. To, to me, those two, I think I have a really good understanding of and I feel really good about those. I've also FOMO'd into, some people would call it, a bunch of wild stuff like Joy Torches, Pranksy Joy Box. I have a couple Art Blocks things, the B20 tokens, some Sean Mendez thing. I, I don't know, some waifu thing. I mean, I have no idea what's going on out there. I'm kind of blindly firing in an effort to be early. And I do think that like 99% of this NFT stuff that comes out will eventually be worthless. But right now it's so asymmetrical when you're talking about 20x, 50x, 100x as at least in the realm of possibility outcomes, um, it seems good. And I also think that after trying to understand NFTs for a while and understand blockchain technology as a whole for the last, I don't know, five, six years or whatever, like this is undoubtedly going to change society. Like the middleman um, that between who's creating value and the consumer is like, so unnecessary. So like JK asked, you know, what's your stance on smart contracts in the future on auto sales or real estate or just in general? Like to me, I don't know exactly when, but all this stuff is going to change the world. So I don't know. And that's like my bull case on NFTs in general, but obviously the market is completely out of control. Right now we have Paris Hilton. We have Logan Paul talking about crypto punks. I mean, it's obviously out of control right now. What do you think how do you think it goes for NFTs and what do you think is going on right now in general? Yeah, so I think it's an important and a good question. And um, I think it's probably something that any new entrance to NFTs should be paying big attention to this. So my biggest concern as an investor in the NFT space is that uh, there is an endless amount of supply that's forthcoming here. So we're very, very early days here. And there are a lot of very smart, very capable, very creative people who are on the sidelines seeing uh, artists who are 15 years old, 16 years old, 18 years old, who are, are selling $600,000 worth of, of art, of digital art in a, a two hour auction period. And 
what that will breed is a ton of new supply, a ton of new creators coming on. And again, like I said, a ton of talented supply coming on. And so, you know, something that we may think is beautiful and incredible today um, may just kind of fall by the wayside. And I think if you look at the the regular traditional art market, there are lots of people in the world. I am not one of them who can paint a beautiful portrait, like a perfect, almost photograph-like portrait, and their art isn't worth anything. And so I think that I, as an investor, am treading very, very carefully, knowing that a lot of supply is coming on. Mm -hmm. um, and so my biggest investments to date have by far been in Topshot and in CryptoPunks, like you said. And why um, is is kind of the answer to, to the way I'm approaching it um, is I want to invest in products that I think have a story, have something defined about them and have something that no matter what comes from this day forward, the story doesn't change. So for CryptoPunks, and we can spend a whole episode talking about CryptoPunks specifically, but the short of it is they were the first ever NFT on Ethereum and they were uh, made in an algorithmic way on the old token standard, not to get too technical. And they basically were the pioneer to the NFT industry as we know it today. So they predated CryptoKitties, they predated um, any other NFT product um, and in many ways paved the path to things like Top Shot and Beeple and a lot of the other things that people are reading about today. So for me, that story never changes. It's, it's always the first, um, and they've got a lot of gr other great aspects, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that's not our focus. Um, and Top Shot itself is, has a huge, huge, huge first mover advantage into the mainstream world um, where now the user base is huge. Uh, Rachel Nichols is tweeting about it. NBA players are, are tweeting about it. And it's really the first kind of successful mainstream um, project. And um, for me, that, that story also will last for a long time. And, and that's, you know, Top Shot success is what's kind of led to this NFT interest. And in, in, mm -hmm. in my view, a lot of uh, lay people from a crypto standpoint are entering the market and kind of finding out what a MetaMask is and finding out how to send crypto. And so I've bought a few pieces of art here and there. I bought a, a Pranksy NFT box and, you know, I've got various reasons here and there. Um, but I think it's, it's important to be careful. Um, there is so much coming on in the future. And, you know, we'll have a Kanye West NFT, we'll have a Kim Kardashian NFT, we'll have a Paris Hilton, we'll have you know, anything and everyone. And at, you know, at some point, it, it can't all just keep selling for $20,000 a piece. So, you know, buy, buy things that you genuinely enjoy owning. Um, don't just buy to speculate. Um, yes, there have been incredible gains and there probably will be going forward. But, you know, we, we hear about the successes. We don't hear about the flops. So, so just be very careful. But I do think, to your point, the NFT world is going to blow up in a big, big, big way. Um, and you, you touch on some of the benefits that, you know, the, the middleman um, is an often, oftentimes an unnecessary component of a transaction. And, you know, you mentioned real estate and auto sales, but one that I think might be a good example um, for, for your audience here is Mark Cuban tweeted about issuing tickets for Mavs games on the blockchain. And the advantage there is right now they issue a ticket to some guy in Dallas. He goes to his neighbor and sells it for $100 more than he paid for it. The neighbor then goes to put it on StubHub. Someone buys it and that guy sells it to another guy on Craigslist. The Mavs just benefit from the primary sale there. Whereas if it's on the blockchain, um, they can keep you know whatever they assign to it, 5% share of every secondary transaction and it's traceable and verifiable ownership on the blockchain. And that's a huge and very, very powerful 
tool and, and a great use case. And there are tons and tons of use cases here and examples of, of other, um, you know, other ways it can be implemented. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, uh, we've kept you long enough. We're gonna run through four listener questions here real quick. First one from the man's Peter Overzet Club Top Shot fame. He says, would you rather have a $20 million Top Shot bag or $20 million crypto punks bag? It's an interesting question. 20 million top shot or 20 mil of crypto punks? Yeah, so it's a great question. I think the risk profiles are different. For me, I talked about the two kind of fatal risks of, of top shot, which are a dapper NBA breakup or a flow blockchain breakdown. Crypto punks does not really have a risk scenario like that. I don't, I don't really foresee a scenario where NFTs as a whole succeed, um, but crypto punks fail for one reason or another. Um, and so for me, the CryptoPunks floor is, is pretty high. I think that there's an appealing story. There, there's an appeal in their simplicity. Again, I don't want to go too deep into the CryptoPunk bull thesis, um, but I, I, I think it's a safe, easy play. Having said that, I don't think it has as high of a ceiling as Top Shot. So it's a Top Shot has greater downside and greater upside. It's, it's a difference in, in variance um, there. So for me, I'm a I'm a risk taker. Uh, give me top shot over punks. I, I love sports. I love being, having a vested interest in, in RJ Barrett becoming a great three point shooter over the last month. And, and, and so that's a ton of fun for me. Crypto punks are awesome. Um, I have, a, I have three physical copies of crypto punks coming that I'm going to put on my wall, which is an absurd <laughs> concept because they look silly out of context. Um, but I'm doing it. So I enjoy my crypto punks too, but, but give me top shot over punks. All right. Second question is from Amit. He says, did you guys settle the terms for your tennis bet? If so, what is the line? And it can be live streamed for us DJs to bet it and sweat it. So actually, I was down in Florida uh, this last week and I got to play a little tennis with my dad. It's the first time I had played in, I don't know, 15, 16 months. My game is not sharp right now. From our discussions before, it sounds like you're a little better than me, but I will be willing to give you action that people want it. I mean, should we live stream a, a, a medium stakes, medium to high stakes tennis match? Yes, uh, that, that's a hard yes. <laughs> and, and, and in terms of my, my rust, um, where you're seeing me right now is where I spend an awkward amount of my time. I do not leave my apartment anymore. Um, and so I've, I've played tennis probably twice in the last year. So I, I can't say I'm, I'm particularly crisp myself. Mm -hmm. So we can we can talk offline about terms and, and, and figure it out and, and find a way to make it work. But the short of it is, yes, I'm very interested in this and yeah. we should definitely live stream it for the for the people. This will be my third uh, publicly profiled tennis bet. First one was the loss, the heartbreaking loss to Bass with the frying pan. The second one was a, a victory over Brandon Adams in which I was getting laid a really good uh, price. And this would be uh, my third. Nothing I really enjoy more than than tennis bets. It's so, I, so I want this. Are you telling me there's footage out there that I can scout out of you? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, 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 Twitter world, please send me all the footage so I can, uh, I can scout. Yeah, you'll quickly see that uh, the backhand is a major issue, but you know, I, I've been working on it. Okay. Uh, okay, from Peter, obviously CSU Ram, one of the best friends of the show, new father, shout out to Gracie. Of course, he says, what is Mike's favorite investment he's made outside of Top Shot or crypto? Is there any investment you've made outside of Top Shot or crypto that you, uh, is there one of your favorites? Uh, so first, I'll, I'll give uh, Jennings a shout out and Gracie a shout out. Uh, Peter and I first started talking, I don't know, six weeks ago, soon after the Bales article um, with Peter, like I, like I do with everyone, blue, blue check or not, I, I try to make myself available to talk top shot. And we've, you know, we've, we've hit it off. And we, we talk all the time. And he's one of the, the best dudes that, that I've met. He's a, 
he's a, a huge advocate and supporter of, of his friends and he just wants to help people make the world a better place. So huge fan of his and it's been great to, to get to know him. And um, so just wanted to say that before I answer. Um, and in terms of other good investments, um, one, one other thing that I went pretty hard on early in my professional career is Apple stock. And it seems as basic and as vanilla and mm-hmm. as anything else. But essentially, the, the thesis at the time was if, if you ran any conventional analysis on Apple stock um, in the kind of 2010 to 2013 timeframe, it seemed like the market was basically discounting the fact that they were sitting on a huge, huge, huge pile of cash. Um, that basically you could rip out that pile of cash, pretend it, did, pretend it didn't exist. And then Apple was fairly priced relative to, to comps and um, other publicly traded companies. Um, and then you put back in that cash and it's severely, severely underpriced. And today that's sort of corrected itself and it's more fairly priced. But I basically took a huge portion of my first few paychecks and just put it into Apple, put it into Apple call options um, and went very hard, uh, irresponsibly so. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I have I have a bit of a gamble and statistics in me. I, I mentioned earlier that I studied statistics at school. I'm, um, I don't mind taking what I view to be a, a plus EV risk. And, and so I, I did that in a pretty big way and it was successful. I still hold my Apple shares today the same way I still hold my top shares. I'm not a big seller in general. <laughs> well, that leads us into the last question here. The last question I'm going to do today comes from Adam Blevins. He says, Mike is the man so helpful. What is Mike's plan on realizing profits or will he just hold forever and ever and ever? And I know you said you, you don't plan to sell in the short term, but my God, man, I mean, $20 million bag. I mean, you have to have some exit strategy at some point. Like, I, I don't care if you get called the pumper and dumper or whatever. There has to be some plan. What is your plan for realizing profits in Top Shot? Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a fair question. I get it all the time. Um, in the short term, and I shared this on Club Top Shot, and I don't know if this should be publicly shared. I'm, I'm new to having any sort of voice, but it's, it's fine. I think it's good for the people to hear. Um, in, in the short term, what I'm doing or what, what I'm in the process of doing is moving my collection into an LLC, uh, a new entity, and uh, selling some membership interest in the LLC to my family business. So I mentioned I work for my family business. I feel guilty about the fact that I'm doing a, a podcast with you at 2.30 p.m. on a Wednesday instead of answering emails and, and doing what I should be doing with my time. And so I'd like to cut my family in on that so that the time I dedicate to Top Shot and to NFTs um, benefits my family and the, you know, is more aligned with what I'm paid to do during the day. And so um, it allows me to kind of de-risk a little bit, um, allow my family to get in on the, on the Top Shot action um, and, uh, you know, well, okay, I'll get more technical here. So basically I'm setting up an LLC. If I sell membership interest in the LLC, the cash comes into the LLC. I can then take that cash and put it in Apple stock into real estate, into anything else in the world. Um, and it doesn't trigger taxes actually. So it allows me to de-risk my portfolio, align with my family, um, not sell anything because I don't want to sell anything. Um, keep it all within the family because I, I remain incredibly bullish. Invest elsewhere, um, and and so that's my plan in the, in the short term. Um, I don't know if that's viewed as realizing profit or not. And and then the second answer to that is, um, in in many you'd want to realize profit to either de-risk and diversify in any sort of conventional portfolio um, theory, um, or to access cash. And I do think as NFTs and Top Shot continue to get more 
mainstream that you'll be able to effectively margin your entire account. Um, so I can basically say, here's my LLC. Um, will you make a loan to the LLC backed by my, my moments? And there are other solutions similar to that. But basically, I'll go to uh, you know, Bank of America or Citibank and say, hey, um, here's my account. Um, according to intangible market, <laughs> it's worth this amount. I understand you're skeptical. Like my buddy, Adam Levitan, he's skeptical too. So let, let's cut that uh, down to a third of what intangible market says. And I'll, I'll take uh, a loan. It's relatively low risk for you. This is an established market so on and so forth. And, and then I can take some cash that way without having to sell my moments. I'm not, I, I'm not laughing because I'm skeptical. I'm laughing, picturing you going into like some stiff in Bank of America and telling him <laughs> I want to, I want to leverage off my top shot account. That That's what I, that's what I'm laughing at. Hey, roll back five years on Bitcoin. Now, now every financial institution yeah. in the world wants a cut of Bitcoin. It's, I, I think this is headed in the same direction. Yeah. Okay. Totally agree. Well, this was awesome, Mike. Thanks for being so transparent and open about all your top shot experiences. And rumor has it, and I think pretty strong rumor, is that there might be NFL top shots coming. We don't know when. Uh, they do have on their site listed NFLPA as a partner, so we don't know when exactly. NFL top shots are coming. I'm pretty confident it's coming. Most people listening to this are probably heavily into football. I am curious what the market will open at. In other words, you're not going to be printing off 100x like Mike was able to because that word is out on top shots now. But NFL, I mean, you know, biggest sport in America for sure. So maybe we'll have you back on on the horizon of NFL when that gets announced. All right, Mike, before we let you go, tell the people where they can find you. Anything else uh, that you want to mention to the people before you get going? Uh, so first, a, a huge thank you for uh, for having me on. Thank you to you and to Luke. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm a, As I said at the, at the beginning, I'm a big fan of the pod. Uh, and, and it's pretty cool for me to be on. Um, I do have a Twitter account. Um, I'm, I'm pretty fundamentally against social media, so it's ironic that this is now a thing that I'm doing. Um, but my Twitter handle is um, HiJDFens, and I'll spell it for everyone. It's uh, H-I-J-D-F-E-N-Z, and that was F for Frank in the middle there, um, for Fens. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. All right. Mike said it all. For Mike, for producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm -hmm.